0: the original group why don't you introduce everybody everybody okay ian gillen good morning good evening good day good <laughs> villain geezer butler and me tell <laughs> <That's> me i <Now,
2: laughs>
0: Yeah. And you're new. Yep. You you both have come from uh, very different kinds of backgrounds to a a heavy metal group, a very popular heavy metal group with a long history. Did it take a lot of thinking to make the decision to join?
2: No, not once I'd
0: met Tony and Giza. Why is that? Well, because I realized that uh, we were similar. I was impressed by their attitudes, their sort of hunger and drive and belief in what they were still doing after all these years. And uh, also we have the same uh, habits. The same? Habits. Habits. <laughs> what kinds of habits? Drinking habits. The drinking first. habits. <laughs> drinking <time>, habits. <laughs> the first meeting we had was in a pub in England halfway between London and Birmingham and I think after about two hours the meeting was adjourned to under the table. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew these were your kind of guys. Exactly, yeah. <laughs>
3: You are listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network. We are wrapping up our month-long Halloween tribute to the most evil, Halloween spooky band of all time, Black Sabbath. In this last episode, we get into the lost era that is everything that didn't involve Dio or Ozzy. Enjoy, bitches.
0: You really want-
4: Welcome
3: to Covers and Fire. My name is Baco, and back with us for the Lost Era of Black Sabbath is the mortifying Gene Vogel. Gene, uh, how are you tonight?
1: I'm doing fabulous, man. I'm glad. I'm happy to be part of this big discussion <laughs> that we're having. Yeah, celebrating no, Black Sabbath.
3: Yeah, and it's it's appropriate that we're talking about the Lost Era because somewhere along the line we lost Loose Cannon, so uh, yeah, uh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna forge on without him uh, during this. Uh, what are your thoughts of? Uh, I don't know. Basically, what we're getting into, it starts with Born Again and ends with Forbidden. This whole era is just kind of like a—it's not talked about a lot for somewhat obvious reasons, but were you a fan of Black Sabbath while this era was happening, or is this something you kind of learned about it going backwards?
1: Backwards, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, after Dio, everything just changed, but part 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 of it was music was changing. Mm-hmm. You know, going with, with Metallica and every, all these bands that were just blowing up, the thrash scene was blowing up. And that was part of my transition. I was, you know, big into the Dio and uh, and uh, Quiet Riot actually was a big band for me back then as well, Van Halen. But then things started to get heavier and I kind of I kind of steered away from what Sabbath was doing, I guess. And it happened with other bands as well, not just so Sabbath.
3: So you were a Sabbath fan, but you just kind of checked out with Boarding again. Or after deal, uh,
1: Yes, pretty much. Born Again really wasn't even on, on our radar. Uh, you know, in my, you know, you have your friend group, you know, where everybody's sharing tapes or you're, you're talking about music and then everybody's trying to get that new big band and you want to be the one to break it with your local group. So that was never really part of it. It was all, we kind of just went in a different direction. Sabbath was kind of the old guys, you know, and Priest was a little bit like that, but Priest, I don't know, they kind of locked in a little bit more. There was something with the Priest sound, I think. I think Priest went in the direction where they were kind of honing sound, a minus uh, what's the, the, the turbo. You yeah. Know, they, but they were, they were still trying to capture the sound of the times. I time, love turbo. Though.
3: What's your problem?
1: Well, I mean, it's not a big f- favorite for know. what you, I, I get
3: your overall point, yeah. Yeah, that's... A little poppier.
1: It, well, it's poppier and it really captures the sound of the time. Where I think the other Priest stuff, well, except for the 70s Priest stuff, I think that kind of transcends a little bit better. Where turbo you with the the synthy stuff and and Sabbath gets into that too they they introduced a lot of synthy stuff uh, yeah obviously going out of the seventies and into the eighties and then basically I always had a synth or a, a keyboard player from shoot I can't even think of what album I, well
3: Jeff Nichols I think comes in on Never Say Die okay uh, so if not it's the, it, the
1: or was it. Kind of officially, he became almost like the hidden member from that point on. Yeah, was it? at
3: some point they actually considered him a member. I think towards the end, yeah. he
1: was on stage. I think on the tour, wasn't he for the end, or was he kind of? No, he was. Aside? He
3: died in 2017, and oh. he was he was not part of the reunion Who with was the, okay, the I'm 13 tour the
1: replacement dude. I can't think of his name.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, was it one of the guys from Emerson, Lake and Palmer or something like that? Uh, oh good God, isn't wasn't Emerson? No, uh, no, I'm
1: sorry. I can't think of the. Guys look saying. it up, people. Yeah. Come
3: on, facts are not our. Th- are, we're not here for facts. <laughs> we're not
1: here for facts. This is all opinion. Well, fun.
3: my my dad worked at uh in an auto dealer in Faribault, Minnesota, and on on Saturdays I would go to work with him, and he'd give me some busy work, and then he'd give me like you know ten dollars, and I would. There was a local music store called Eastman Music, and I would you know I would really do no work. He would you know I would basically spend the entire time there flipping through records, looking at covers, you know, wishing I could take more of the stuff home. Um you know those little holes in cassettes. You know, like do you remember the cassette? They were on like uh, the long end. They were kind of like these two little tiny holes on the bottom box, where like the, the you know. The, I'm not describing it very well,
1: but <laughs> on the case you're talking about. Yeah,
3: there there's actual display cases meant to hold those. And they would it would lock down and they so these the, you'd have these things almost like a poster display. I gotcha, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this store had that. It's the only place I've ever seen it. Um, but they had the uh, Black Sabbath uh, Born Again cassette uh-huh. and vinyl, and I would stare at that cover forever. I loved it. Did you? Uh, oh, it's one of my favorite all time covers. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. My, my daughter in law actually two years ago for Christmas got me this ridiculous Born Again purple. It's like it's the color of the album cover, and it's just got that the the Red Devil baby. On it, oh, wow. uh, she got it like from Yugoslavia or something through like <laughs> eBay for like way too much money, and so I never wear it because you know I, it's clearly not going to last. And
1: <laughs> yeah, wow.
3: But yeah, eventually one of those days I took home that record, and boy, uh, I, and you fell in love. Yeah, I love it from the first note to the end. I, I think it's a great record.
1: That's that's one that maybe yeah. See, now for me, going back to it is not as I don't have any fond memories like you do with it. So when I revisit it. I revisit as a fan of Sabbath with primarily Dio and uh, Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Um, not in that order, not in really any order, but um, and also a big fan of Deep Purple m- more so now than I was as a kid. Okay. I, mean, I heard the radio songs, but I didn't really get into Deep Purple until mo- uh, within the past, I'm going to say five years or so. Oh, really? And okay. It really blew up for me.
3: Uh, did you like the Born Again album cover, though? I did not. <laughs> what if everybody everybody talks about that cover like it's the most? It's so it's, Sabbathy. It's evil as hell.
1: It's supposed to be, I understand, but it's also been on a little a <laughs> lot of be. lists of bad album covers.
3: Yeah, but these are lists by jackasses. I mean, who, yeah. uh, <laughs> well,
1: sometimes some, t- some uh, yes, yeah, some of them. I'm sure, aren't, aren't,
3: aren't. <laughs> not I, on my list, and that's the only one that matters, right? Or, Uh, um, Yeah, well, unlike you, I'm more than happy to rank uh, the Singers and Sabbath at some point. Uh, Ozzy is number one, uh, probably Dio, then Gillen, then Martin, and then all the guys who didn't do anything can be in like a little box at the bottom. But uh, back to Born Again. So uh, any standout tracks on this record for you? Zero to zero. Two instrumentals, Stonehenge in the dark.
1: Are you serious? You do like? this? Well,
3: they're fine, but they're, yeah, it's not like you play. They're what about twenty seconds each?
1: I understand that, yeah. and I felt like it was a waste of my time.
3: Ah, segues into the song, kind of a Sabbath tradition. I know, you they know. do that.
1: I understand. Yeah. I understand. I and I, I, it's why I kind of let it, let it slide. It was they were on my notes of time wasted, but. Um, so
3: it suffice it to say you haven't uh, put the needle on this record and got you know, you know, got put the moves on the woman, huh? Absolutely not. Oh,
1: okay. Uh. I mean I'd spin digital bitches.
3: For me, it's, it's, it's either Marvin Gaye or this record, you know, uh, so it,
1: well, it's kind of so a toss-up. What's up. the batting average on when you're spinning one versus the <laughs> other?
3: I never thought about it, but I do a lot better with Marvin Gaye. It
1: makes a lot of sense to me. (laughs) I'm
3: going to try it again tonight, though. Uh, My wife will be home in a few hours. Just don't have
1: the record cover up on the bed. (laughs) That'll probably probably adjust the odds just a touch.
3: Oh, but this is such a fun era, though. I mean, because there's so many rumors about them recording in a castle and, like, uh, disturbing the priest is about, like, uh, they were were too loud for a neighboring uh, monastery or something like that. And trashed is uh, literally because Ian and one of the guys went went to pub and uh, got fucked up and came home and crashed to, or came back to the studio or wherever they were recording crashed a car. And you know, when you hear these things, especially growing up, you're yeah. like thinking, like, these guys are all living together and they just see each other all the time. They just wake up, record, get wasted, and crash cars, you know? And it's, you know, obviously we know that it's probably not quite like that. They're probably going home to different places, but. Uh, I just everything about this, this this album delivers from the the font they used for the the logo and the title to the album cover to the weird back cover with Bill Ward and you know Ian Gillen screaming on this to me i don 't know I' would give this five out of five
1: really mm-hmm. wow that's i i couldn't even tell you what I would rate it on a out of scale of five <laughs> I'm thinking it, well part of it too is is um You know, sometimes you you refer back to albums like uh, there's been albums that I've I've had little to no time for. But then years later, you Mm -hmm. give it another try and then maybe sometimes a song will click or something. And but then there's some, of course, that you go through that just will never work. You know, no matter how many times you listen to it, it just will not. We're getting click.
3: to an album like that uh, for me that uh, you actually did on your your, your show, uh, Disciples feeling, yeah, of the Watch. That but the, uh, that was
1: the one you were going to bring
3: up. Um, but you know, uh, you, you you just mentioned something that reminded me of a conversation we have had. and We haven't had many, so they they all stick out to me. And that was that podcasting you mentioned kind of revitalized your your passion for music in a way and very much so for me it, it, it really resonated with me that was one of the reasons why I was like you know that and the fact that you were able to talk for an hour about the album Forbidden I'm like well, he can clearly handle a podcast, but that passion—it—it it, it was a pretty quick connection there that I was like, "That's maybe he's the guy to bring on," because we had been talking about doing this for a while. You know, like we've done like the Megadeth one and the Alice Cooper with Joey Haney from Rock Strikes Ten. Yep. You know, we wanted to bring in like a third voice, kind of to 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 join us in this. So, anyway, that's my way of saying thank you. But that's kind of what the catalyst was to the the first domino that that little exchange we had.
1: I I don't know if it's if it's. The guy I'm working with, with my brother Nate, doing the podcast, or if it's just, or both, because we we were kind of—I I don't want to say we grew up together, because he was kind of in not in part of my group. He or he'd get into our neighborhood from time to time. I don't know how he wandered in there, but you know he would we'd, <laughs> he, we'd hang out from time to time, and then him and I had a little bit of a connection, and then it was we were we spent many years apart. But musically, it was only a few minor connections between the two of us. Hmm. Uh, we both like Hendrix. We both like Sabbath. And there was a few other crossovers. Trinity. So getting back together and, and, and working on it, I think it just was, um, yeah, just putting the focus into the music again and, and kind of remembering what it's all about. I mean, because yeah. we get older and we kind of sometimes you forget about those things that used to bring you joy and and uh, you and um, if you're not paying attention to some of that stuff, you're missing out on the new stuff that can. That's can the big thing. Get into your wheelhouse, even if it's not new, like. Born Again is a very old album that I'd never really paid attention to until more recently. Yeah. So I I would like to revisit it down the road a, or, you know, a little bit more later on and see, is it one of those things that clicks? Because I really do like Gillen. One of my complaints about this album, and I know it wasn't supposed to be a Sabbath album, is it shouldn't have been a Black Sabbath album.
3: Yeah. Do you believe that, though?
1: They, Ian Gillen himself said it's well. They've all
3: kind be. of hinted at that back and forth over the years. I, I have a hard time believing that they were going to do it as something else. But
1: well, I think uh, they were trying to do like a supergroup type of thing, where it's Black Sabbath with Ian Gillen and then they were going to have okay something uh, completely autonomous from Black Sabbath. Just they're carrying the, Ian Gillen's weight. And Sabbath was carrying their weight into this project, and then the record label just said, well, this is going to be Black Sabbath.
3: Yeah, and this entire era can kind of fit that category where, like, maybe this isn't really Black Sabbath. I mean, uh, I'm perfectly willing to accept all of it as Black Sabbath just because of the way it went. I I understand some of the conversations, but it seems like we get different stories as time goes on. And so sometimes I'm not really sure how to, how serious to, t- to take stuff, especially coming from Ozzy. He seems to have a different story about everything every time, but <laughs> he's not in this uh era right now, but That's true. uh well, this is also the infamous tour that inspired the spinal tap uh, uh Stonehenge, Stonehenge where yeah. it was like they 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 inches instead of feet or something. And so yeah. they made this thing, this Stonehenge that couldn't even fit in an arena. Uh, I'm still not even sure how they fit it on a semi if you couldn't get it into an arena. But that being said, they they used it like twice, because because the guy wrote meters instead of feet or something. <laughs> so it's many spinal tap oversight. moments, yeah. uh, uh, with with this band. But I would have been a fun tour to see, man. I don't know. It just seemed like the I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of energy and and revitalization with this record, uh, you know, coming on uh, considering everything they had gone through. With Bill Ward coming back, even
1: I felt like it was a lackluster effort by Bill Ward.
3: <laughs> okay, really?
1: Yes, I. You know, when you listen to all that he's done in the Ozzy era, this to me didn't feel like it was even really Bill Ward. Huh? I didn't have like that that the the jazzy vibe that he usually brings to his work.
3: I did not walk away with that feeling. I liked it.
1: I wouldn't say it was bad. It just didn't feel like
3: not his that, best.
1: What? Yeah, like what Bill Ward would bring to the table back. You know, when he was in his prime. You know, and we're not talking very far removed from when he was out of Sabbath either. We're not talking twenty years later. We're talking when Deal was in to where he's in on this. Right. So okay. it wasn't a huge leap in time. Obviously, there's a lot of sub- probably a lot of substance abuse between then and there, but or unless he was getting clean at that point, I kind of lost where yeah, his timeline yeah, is. Yeah, he, his- he
3: kind of back uh, bopped in and out with that same kind of mentality. I wasn't staying sober, so I left again. As a matter of fact, I believe he left on this tour in Saint Paul. Oh, really? Uh or the, it was either that or during the Heaven and Hell tour. I can't remember. There was a couple of Minneapolis moments uh, for this era of Sabbath. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was Heaven and Hell, actually, that he he bailed on. Uh, he, like, just telephoned Dio and said, I'm at the airport, I'm going home. uh <laughs> oh,
0: well, That's a um, rough call to get.
3: Yeah. Well, right after this, then, Ian Gillen quits. We know, he said it was for voice issues, but we know that he basically, you know, Deep Purple reunited and, yes. and recorded a great album, yes, uh, Perfect Strangers. And, uh... Uh, that that actually was my first Deep Purple record. I can't remember how I got it. It might have been through one of my uh, record club uh, scams where I just would sign up and then never fulfill it. But I, I definitely got it, and I loved it. And then I ended up checking out older Deep Purple a little bit.
1: Yeah, that one was... I remember going to somebody's house. My friend was buying weed from somebody. I didn't smoke it. Hmm. Um, sure but I was with, yeah. with a friend who was buying weed from somebody, and they had that song. The song itself, Perfect Strangers, was playing and that's when I fell in love with that song. It was very cashmere sounding. Yeah, and I was yeah. a big Zeppelin fan, and it stuck with me from that point on, from 1984 all the way. And he says "fuck" on the
3: record too, and that kind of stuck out at the time. <laughs> I can't remember what song it was. Nobody's home.
1: Now, did you hear rumors they were talking about approaching David Coverdale? Is uh, and Robert Plant for Sabbath? For Sabbath before Gil, uh, Ian.
3: Maybe I didn't come across it during my research uh, for this, but I know next up was Dave Donato. Does that name mean anything to you? Because I, I got some fucking minutiae to drop on you if you don't know him. <laughs> uh, he he actually recorded with them. There are some demos uh, available on YouTube that you can hear uh, Dave Donato with Black Sabbath.
0: It's
3: Fan out there, he ended up starting a band called White Tiger with Mark St. John after Mark St. John left Kiss after Animalize. Uh-huh. And it is a horrible. <laughs> you a copy i don't have to uh, rush out to my <laughs> local record store Thank you, you won't find it uh, <laughs> <laughs> sold out <laughs> yeah uh, both copies no but yeah uh, so dave donato was uh, a pretty strong contender the rumor was he gave this interview to kerrang or, or or one of the rip one of those two magazines in england then was let go because they didn't like the tenor of the the interview now i have actually seen the interview and read it I don't think that's true. He doesn't say anything remotely, and they had already officially announced him as a singer. But for whatever reason, things just kind of fell flat. My gut feeling is that like he was a California kind of rock star kind of guy, and he just didn't vibe well with him. But oh. based, based on different things I've read, that that's kind of the interpretation you can take. Then Ron Keel kind of comes into the picture.
1: That is interesting.
3: Yeah. And I talked to Ron Keel about it. The Black Sabbath kind of thing that, that would that fall right between Steeler and Keel, what about was that?
2: It was. It okay. was actually, uh, I was in the studio at Pasha Studios in Hollywood where Spencer Proffer had just recorded Quiet Riot's 10 million selling debut. <laughs> and so Spencer was the hot guy in town and yeah. I was sneaking into the studio at night to, uh, to sing demos and he heard my voice and he had signed on to produce the next Sabbath album after Ian Gillen left and he recruited me for the vocal position in black sabbath at that time i was just putting keel together they kind of overlapped i mean mark ferrari my guitar player in keel was at the last Steeler gig and we all knew it was the last gig and i was already putting the pieces together to form my own band and call it keel so there was uh, that brief time literally a matter of weeks in between where black sabbath uh, came knocking and of course, uh, when an iconic metal band like that yeah. shows interest, you've got to answer the call. So, uh, I I have fond memories of basically sitting around with Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler for three days, uh, and they were trying to figure out how they could get Ozzy back.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, y- you know, it probably worked out best for you. Um, that was not exactly the a good time for Black Sabbath, so.
1: Um, well,
2: you know, I don't know. I think if I had to come and if I had have had the opportunity to actually uh, do an album and a tour with them, who knows what might have been.
1: Big fan of the show, Ron Keel.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually let's not just,
1: gloss over that.
2: He, he just, uh, yeah, uh, Ron Keel of uh,
3: brought one of my closest friends. Yes, pure, uh,
1: <laughs> personal dear friend. Of yeah, he.
3: He uh, challenged me to a chili cook-off in Nashville next summer. Oh, um, so Did you uh, take him up on that? Yeah, I said hell yeah, yeah. Oh, the, nice. And we're probably going to carpool this year. I tried to get him to do it this year, but it was too late. So, uh, so you know, I'll drive and he'll play acoustic guitar yeah. and sing. Was the joke there? But yeah, so Ron was there. He he basically just said it was just there for a few days, and and uh, things didn't really come together for whatever reason, and he went back to focusing on Keel, and then Geezer quits, and Ozzy or Geezer quits, and then Tony. Iomi basically just puts the band on hiatus for a while and starts working on what would become Seventh Star.
1: Uh, first solo album yeah nah, nah, <laughs> this one I, d-
3: I, I 100% believe that everything it's been consistent it's been one story and the way it was actually presented from the record company kind of backs it all up Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi I remember when I found this in the drugstore in Owatonna my hometown and I was like holy shit new Black Sabbath record I bought it right away. I don't know. I like the record. What do you? What What are your thoughts?
1: This is another one that actually my um, um, my brother Nate from the podcast turned me on to. He's like, you really got to listen to this album. It's way better than the than all the ratings have been. All the critics what they're what they're saying about it. And I kind of went into it a little reluctantly because I, you know I hate when i I hate being tainted by reviews. Yeah. It happens and now I'm I'm trying to be more mindful of it but there's always, you know, especially I never the, cared about reviews. The, and I don't either. That's the thing, but for some reason sometimes they 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 plant the seed.
3: I like to read them like after years have gone by. And, and I like, will do that yeah, as well. Yeah, that's and fun. Then, it's then like, it, yes. "Oh my god, I love this record. Like, this like, well, guy fucking just yeah. took a shit on it. <laughs> yes. Fuck him.
2: Or, yeah, well, where or does it, he live? I'm going to really find his. Yeah. I'm
3: going to poop on his front step."
1: No. Yeah. You said all about a lot of people, don't you?
3: Yeah, that's kind of my thing.
1: It is. Well, it's good. Watch out, Ron Kiel. Yeah.
3: But, uh, Stay on my good side, bud. <laughs> to do that. Yeah.
1: So this one, but... Um, Sioux Falls is only four hours away. It's
0: not
3: that far. <laughs> uh, good. Okay, I, can can, I can drive a bag of shit four hours. <laughs>
1: well, I thought you just get a good one brewing, and then when Ooh, you... Oh, yeah, you nice and, and fresh. fresh, yes. And, uh, yeah, fresh and hot.
3: Yes, yeah. Even if I have to wait an hour or two for it to get come out, yeah, it's still worth it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this album I now going back and listening to it immediately out of the gate for me this one I thought this is, a, this is a, an underrated album I feel like yes it's not so much a Black Sabbath album I know it's got the Black Sabbath name on it I know it's Tony Iommi but it's a good Hughes Iommi album and I, even still listening to it now because we did it if I'm not mistaken Nate and I did a track by track on this one Really,
3: and, yeah. I have to check that one out.
1: And uh, we we both were favorable to it. It was a pretty good album.
3: And that's the the, the disciples of the watch podcast.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, we don't <laughs> crap on people's houses or porches or anything like that either. Okay,
3: yeah, you, you come come to Cobras and Fire for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you got to know where your bread is <laughs> buttered. So, uh, listening to it more recently, when we were talking about doing this. It still hits the right spots for me. And I really yeah. do enjoy this album. I actually picked it up on vinyl. I'm like, I have to, this is one I need to have. So when I'm listening to records and I'm just, because when I listen to records, I tend to just sit down and listen to records. Um, I don't want to be moving around the house. Occasionally I'll do that, but mostly I'm in a room listening to those records and really just absorbing the music side A, side B, or D, you know, however many sides there are. So this is a great album. Um, very underrated. But it's it's also got a vibe that's not Sabbathy. That's the thing.
3: Man. Well, that's why. I mean, it definitely is more. It's almost like. Uh like album rock by yeah. Tony Iommi. You know, it's got that kind of contemporary sound to it. I do own it on vinyl as well. I don't have my cassette that I bought at the at the drugstore, uh, whatever, 30 years ago at this point. But I, I'm pretty sure up, up upstairs I have three copies of it on CD. Nice. <laughs> I bought the deluxe edition most recently where it's got like a second CD. Oh, really? Of, I, didn't know uh, that I, fuck, I can't remember what, what's on that one. Because I got the deluxe edition of the Eternal Idol as well. I think that one has Ray Gillen singing the record on it. This one must have a live performance around that time, probably with Ray Gillen singing uh on that, but uh yeah, oh. definitely some fun stuff. I love the record. Like I, I I agree with pretty much everything you said. Uh for me a standout track is that, that the last song Angry Heart. Uh it just I don't know. I I I could pick a lot of it. The the, the snoozer on this is probably the, the single. Uh, no stranger to love. Uh, the did you ever see that music video? I did not. Oh my god! You got It's just basically Tony Iommi with that. Uh, you know, remember that leather jacket with, with the, the fringes? fringes? Yeah. yeah, he's just he's just walking around like in alleys with with steam and shit coming up at night, and like this this like hot chick fading in and out for some reason, and then I don't know why, but Dobermans. There's
2: just dormans <laughs> running around. Uh,
3: wow. The '80s was awesome it sounds like a for, for for music. Yeah, I would definitely check out the music video. It uh, uh, and actually th- this album got a little bit of a push. I remember it being advertised in Circus and Hip uh as much as anything around the time. MTV played that video a decent amount, and it. I'll I'll hit it, hit my point home on the next record, but it's just kind of a shame that the record company forced this to be a Black Sabbath record yes. when we f- get to the next album. That was a big fail. Any other thoughts on this before we go on to the Eternal Idol?
1: Well, it's funny. I did have some highlights. I, I, for me, it's a pretty solid album throughout, um, but when I was preparing for the show, I decided I was going to kind of pick out a few tracks that I thought I could focus on for you know anybody that cared to hasn't heard it and decided, well, these guys are talking about it and they enjoy it, what, what tracks. Uh, In for the Kill... Yeah, I do like "No Stranger to Love."
3: I like it too. I just, if to me, I love the whole record. I think that's just probably one of the weaker spots for me.
1: Uh, And Seven Star, I I like that. It's kind of got a cashmere vibe on it. Yeah. And this was, I'm, I'm shocked. Eric Singer on drums.
3: I, th- I didn't think he came into the next record. Eric Singer's on this one. Eric Singer's
1: on drums. Stolen from Lita
3: Ford's band, which uh, Tony was uh, engaged to at the time.
1: Yeah. And yeah, the, the sound like things were kind of rough with those two.
0: <laughs> I went to a party last Saturday night. I did a good day. I got in a fight. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing.
3: I haven't read her book, but uh, she's a bit of a train wreck. Uh, yeah, a little uh, bit.
1: I've, I've a lot of a lot of what uh, she said and things that have been said about her in the press in the past. I don't know, five years or so has has been. Yeah, it's been really yeah. uh, interesting. We'll see.
3: We'll bring you back for the Lita Ford episode, and we'll go into more detail <laughs> there. But yeah, no, yeah, Eric Singer of uh, of uh, he's basically the Catman in Kiss.
1: Yeah, and, there's, and I really have no no low spots on this album. I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best thing Black Sabbath's ever done. I'm not going to say it's the best thing Tony Iommi's ever done. I'm not going to say it's the best album out there. I'm just saying I think it really deserves a lot more respect, and a lot of good work is put into this album, a lot of good.
3: Great production by Jeff Glicksman.
1: So all around just a great album, and it, it sounds a little 80-ish, yeah. 80s-ish, but uh, I think it's aged well.
3: I do too. Yeah, I mean, it definitely kind of has a little bit of that sound, but it, it, yeah. it's it's not like a, it's not like a poster child of, of like yeah. you know, like a Lionel Richie you're not record think would be. Wayne Chung, or, when you're listening, exactly. To- I think the production actually holds up very well on this one. So, out of degree. Uh, another uh, six out of five stars. There was no tour for this record, really. They went out for a few shows. Glenn Hughes kind of uh, was. Uh, by his own admission now, I don't know if it was Coke or whatever, but he was not in a good place uh, chemically. And uh, Ray Gillen was hired to fill in, and I think they did about a half a tour before it got canceled. Um, that sounds and, right, yeah. And then they started working on... Wasp and
1: Anthrax, was that correct?
3: Yeah, I think you, I think you are right, because the Eternal Idol, they really didn't tour at all.
1: So yeah, that but I, so, I yeah, remember I, it was a it was a train wreck.
3: Yeah, so it didn't last very long. And I think you're right that it was Wasp and Anthrax now.
1: But the Eternal Idol kept largely the
3: same lineup uh with Ray Gillen filling in for Glenn Hughes. Now I know Glenn Hughes was never really brought in to be, like to be the singer, so it's kind of a weird thing for someone like me. Especially you know, there's no internet, there's no way to find this stuff out. You know, Circus magazines like three months behind what actually was they're reporting. Yeah, which I think adds to how fun it was to to think about because you had to wait and feast and get almost nothing, and then all of a sudden there's a new Sabbath album called The Eternal Idol, which for some reason because there's no way to know, doesn't have Ray Gillen on vocals, even though <laughs> I've just been reading for the last year that he is the current vocalist for Black Sabbath. Uh, and we find out it's a guy named Tony Martin. And the first time I heard the song The Shining, I was driving to school, and it was played on 93X. Or wait, it was Hot Rockin' 104 at the time. I'm sorry. I'm Thank th- you.
1: We were just talking about this in band practice, and I said, what did what used to be the station in the Twin Cities before 93X and I thought it was something 104, but I couldn't think of what the name was. Yeah. That's it. Hot rock
3: and 104. yeah, so like seven in the morning I'm listening to and I have no idea it's Black Sabbath. I, I really did. I'm like, this song is fucking amazing. Song still gets me going. The Shining, the first track. What a great song! And then when I find out it's Black Sabbath, because you know Black Sabbath is really kind of like Kiss for me. Where especially during this time of my life, they do no wrong. They release a record, I buy it, I see it, I, I absorb it, and I find a reason to like it. And, and looking back, this is a record that's held up. When did you first hear it? Did you hear it right when it came out? Because this was not pushed as heavy as Seven Star.
1: No, actually, I. This is all part of my. I'm um, phased out. Of um, it's it for me it's Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax are, are kind of my big bands at this point and you know and for me too in our, in where I grew up we were money was tight so it wasn't like we were rushing out and buying all the new albums oh right it, oh yeah it pretty much it was whatever somebody was able to to pick up or they borrowed from a, a sibling or whatever and that would kind of get into our bloodstream from that point on a lot of these albums were never part of. My musical experience coming through. It wouldn't be till many years later that I listened to this stuff.
3: I was making about $120 every two weeks at my part time uh, job cooking during high school. It was about a 50 50 split between, well, I mean, I had to put gas in the car, but it was pretty cheap back then. About a buck a gallon, I think. Uh, so the rest was. Music and beer. Uh, and uh, Yeah, at this
1: point, I guess I was probably focusing on buying guitar gear or anything like that. Boy, probably riding BMX bikes. So I know I'd, I would have been just starting to play guitar at this point, big into what was going on, you know, the, the that whole thrash movement. You know, so a lot of the stuff I was phasing out, the Quiet Riot and a lot of that other stuff at this point. So this album really never connected with me and never and never made it through our circles. None of this none of the Tony Martin stuff ever did. I wouldn't discover that even I didn't know who Tony Martin was until about I'm going to say 12 years ago.
3: He's not a good-looking guy.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> was or isn't. Either he's not now. <laughs> no, he was. He, I
3: think he's better looking now. That like he's like, yeah, kind of oh, old. Really? I got, guess I never got that. Pictures. I got a beard and I'm a distinguished old man look. Yeah, back then he was kind of like, kind of, I don't know, mute, mutoid man looking or something. <laughs> but uh, the album cover, I don't know if you know this, was they act it, it's from an art piece, but then I, I know that they were not given permission to use a copy of the actual photograph. So what they did is they recreated it with two live people and painted them with gold body paint. Nice. Uh, They wanted it that bad, apparently.
1: Yeah, I do remember reading something about uh, something with that. Uh, regarding the artwork on it
3: so that's kind of cool i don't know for whatever reason they they went that far my bitch about this is that they made no effort to push this record it's amazing that i heard a song on the radio because uh it didn't get any mtv love it was not advertised in any of the the circus or hip paraders kind of you know stuff like that and it was like they forced tony to put the black sabbath name on a record they did and then people were like, this isn't really Black Sabbath. So that kind of tanked because it was not Black Sabbath. And then they come back and they do a very, in my opinion, Black Sabbathy y record. And then they make no effort and just to drop them once it's done. And to me, that is the music industry in a nutshell. You hear so many stories like this. It's like this band gets signed to a big contract. They get pushed. Uh, the bosses change. And then the, the new boss doesn't want, they want to make sure they, they tank you. So they can drop you from the label because you're not their guy. I it seems like the worst business pro like, you know, model in the world. It's like we're gonna spend three million dollars to make sure this record flops. You know, they did it with Motley Crue with Electra. Uh, I know Metallica had their beef. They didn't really had a flop, but you know what I mean? It's so many times you hear these things, and that, I think that's what happened here is that Black Sabbath had worn out their welcome at Warner Brothers. They they were a kind of a dying brand. But they were a dying brand on the record before, and they insisted it, it a non-Black Sabbath-sounding record have the Black Sabbath name on it. And then when he follows it up with a more Black Sabbath-sounding album, they just pull all support. The album does even worse, and then it just it disappears. I mean, you, you're more likely to find this in a cutout, bin, you know, six months after it came out.
1: I don't remember seeing any print advertising. My exposure with uh, MTV was very limited because we were either out riding bikes or doing sports or whatever. And only uh, a couple of my friends had even had cable back then.
3: you the so, got cable really late, or
1: no? I was in Burnsville. I okay, grew up, I grew up in Burnsville, so just you know, not in a very well-to-do area, so to speak. And
3: we definitely didn't have it in
1: our house. No, it was I. just me and my dad. We had a black and white television actually uh, the, the we, whole time uh, in my house.
3: We had a TV that was color, but it was fuzzy as fuck. Yeah, and we weren't in the Twin Cities, so like we had the oh, antenna. That's you know, right. it's like you know. You get like, you know, three and a half channels.
1: Uh, <laughs> if you're lucky. But, you know,
3: yeah, you let you focus on music more. I Like, probably just like, I wasn't BMXing, but I was playing guitar and listening to music and trying real hard to get laid, but no game. Yeah. None at all, man. <laughs> well,
1: that's why you need your music, to get yeah, the ladies. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, put it on Eternal Light <laughs> on,
3: like... I was always picking the wrong record it turns out Gene it's like I'm putting on Born Again but at least this
1: (laughs) record cover is more inclined to to, you know to get the ladies interested put you in the mood baby unless you were pulling out uh, Born Again uh, immediately afterwards and then saying what do you think of this cover then it you just dry them back up again.
3: This is the best Tony Martin record, front to back. This is an amazing Sabbath album. Again, just like the last two records. I think these are three very solid albums in a row. You know, I'll I'll go use our term, perfectly rated, why they didn't break through at this point. Black Sabbath was kind of an odd brand at this point for people to accept, and they were changing singers and members so much. I mean, you got a bass player named Dave the Beast Spitz, whose brother was in Mm Banthrax. Probably how they got that tour with Black Sabbath and uh, the the seven star tour oh, if you, you think go. about it uh, everything is much more close than you think but what are your thoughts
1: I don't know if I'd say it's the best one with Tony for me but it is a good album so I'd easily recommend throwing this one on and, and giving it a spin I'd actually be interested in getting this one on vinyl just to have because I think it would be a good uh, just focus album sit down and, and okay. tune in and, and absorb Tony Martin's a great singer I don't think he's like a, a, a unique singer. He sounds like, a, I think, a singer of the time, so to speak.
3: He's like if uh, somebody who was a big fan of Dio got on, got on American Idol.
1: My notes are Dio with a little bit of Don Dokken in there.
3: Uh, yeah, I know. I do think he's a great singer. I think part of the reason this album is one of the best ones or in my opinion the best with him is that he didn't write the lyrics. I think he's a garbage lyricist. Thank
1: you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, that's obviously a little bit of uh, well, we'll get into that. The but road. Yeah. Yes, but that is a very good point. This this I think does w- have a better uh, vibe for me because the lyrics don't tank it. But a very well sung album, a very yeah. everything all around. Again, is Jeff
3: Glixman producing. It sounds great. It's just
1: a little bit tough calling it a Black Sabbath album. It's almost too bad Tony wasn't from from uh, the, the previous album on through the Tony Martin era. They could have been a whole different band, and I think they would have had more success. I think Black Sabbath. I think the name Black Sabbath was probably bringing them down at this point. Because yeah. people are so used to doom with what Ozzy brought, with the the whole the way the whole band started, and I know and Ozzy went of-
3: on such a a different, drastic, you know, stratospheric level. Yes, I mean listening to uh, uh, Blizzard of Oz versus the last, you know, even like the last two records with Dio, which I think standalone, I mean, it was just I mean Ozzy was going forward, and Black Sabbath it was still kind of like being this dinosaur almost. As yeah, much as well, I love this record. I think in a way they
1: were, they were trying to f- see what the bands were doing around them. What were the, what was happening in the scene? What was the vibe? And they were trying to kind of grasp onto what was going on. And I think that's part of the reason that Ozzy was unhappy with the band because those last two albums with Ozzy, he wasn't real pleased with.
3: Plus Ozzy's insane. He's, he's not, he's not yeah, stable.
1: And he's probably, <laughs> he may have been difficult to work with back then as well. Yeah. He went with his gut and obviously, you know, Sharon had a, had a vision. Yeah. Ozzy! I now I have. Sharon
3: and Randy Rhodes, I think. Uh, Randy, oh my God. Um, Huge probably, part of
1: his success.
3: Because everything that happened after that, because for me, Jakey Lee is, is my favorite Ozzy guitar player. But I, but I don't think you get there without Randy. Randy and Eddie Van Halen were just pushing this next wave, which would become basically hair metal in the 80s. Tony really didn't get the respect he deserved Absolutely. until much later.
1: I would agree with that. Yep. Okay. I think uh, people took him for granted.
3: Kind of like Ace Freely would not have worked with in Kiss in the 80s, I don't think. Still has that kind of old style of playing but oh, it worked yes. when he came back, even though they really didn't do any recording with him. But suddenly that, that that seemed relevant again.
1: But Ace had more, I think he got more respect. Probably
3: a little bit, but he was also kind of a joke around this time. prelease comic yeah, came out. And, yeah, that's uh, a good point. You know, um, but I, I love this record. I really do. This is one I go back to, and I and I listen to from beginning to end. Kind of like what you're talking about, where you sit down and kind of put it in. Uh, Ray Gillen, uh, the, 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 the deluxe edition of this, is almost identical, except like even in production quality. Except for it's Ray Gillen singing it, all the yeah. songs, and I might like that just a little bit better. I don't know. It's difficult because I, you know, I'm so familiar with the the original version, but uh, it's definitely
1: worth checking out. That's a good tip. I have to make note of that.
3: I'll burn you a copy of that with. The, what was the other thing I was going to burn you? Uh, oh, that uh, album from uh, Mark Stein. Oh yeah, John. White, White Tiger. White yeah. Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, which brings us to Headless Cross. Their first record with uh, IRS uh, record label was released April 24th in 1989, and this was produced by Tony Iomi because he was sick of all the drama. Gone is basically everybody. He brought in Cozy Powell. Uh, Neil Murray ended up being the touring bass player, but I, I think uh, Bob Daisley played bass on the record. Jeff Nichols still hung around, kind of picking up the crumbs of what was left of Black Sabbath, the fumes at the time. And then, of course, Tony Martin is back, and now he's writing
1: lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yes.
3: They're, uh, they're, I don't know, they're, they're goofy. It's like he's trying to be kind of like, I want to be Dio and satanic, and uh, I'm not very creative.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I think he was trying to capture some of the fire that they had back when Sabbath was mysterious and, and ominous and dark. And you know, you put on that first Black Sabbath album as a kid, and you hear the lightning and the thunder, and you hear him th- with what Ozzy singing. And it can just bring,
3: watch as this,
1: and it can it can make the hairs on your arms stand. Yeah, up, you it's know? a
3: creepy fucking song, but and
1: it's so powerful. And I think he was like thinking that, well, I'm going to use that as inspiration and I'm going to draw from Sabbath's history and bring that into what we're doing here. And it just I feel it just failed big time.
3: Yeah. And it would have been nice to have Geezer kinda going along at this point too, but I think he was looking at Sabbath as kind of a joke too.
1: Well he was working with Ozzy at this point, wasn't he? Oh, that's right,
3: yeah. At this point he was actually on the uh No Rest for the Wicked. So yeah, that's right. Remember like it seemed like for a while it was like Tony and Geezer versus Ozzy, and then all of a sudden it became Ozzy and Geezer versus Tony, and it was like kind of this weird thing going back and forth, and now Ozzy and Geezer are just carrying on with this great thing, and Tony, keep playing with Cozy Powell. Now, what was Cozy Powell like famous for? He was from another band, right?
1: He was in a bunch of bands. He's Yeah, yeah he was in uh, Rainbow...
3: Rainbow is who I'm thinking of.
1: You know, and that's one thing I wanted to bring up, too. Um, when I'm listening through the Tony Martin era of Black Sabbath, it almost feels like Tony's got a little bit of inspiration from Rainbow to me okay. with some of these songs. It's like he's trying to appeal to a wider audience than what they did with Dio and what they did with Ozzy. So it's interesting that all of a sudden Cozy Powell's involved.
3: Yeah, I I, I thought it was an odd bring-in, and I think he's a weird-looking guy. Um, <laughs> and or whatever that, whatever that's worth. Yeah, you're I was
1: very ex- really fixated on people's looks. In his, oh, yeah, yeah, in very Sarah. much.
3: Yeah, uh, it, it's important. Uh, you can't be a good quarterback with a stupid name, Case Keenum. Ouch. <laughs> I was very excited for this record because of uh, how much I loved Eternal Idol. And what a bummer. Uh, I I think the production is shit. I think the songs are okay. It's probably the second best Tony Martin. Actually, I think I like Tear or whatever that one is a little better than this one. But I just, I don't know. Now I think about it, I like Cross Purposes better than this one. This one actually kind of falls down the list uh, for me. Uh, It's better than Forbidden, but that's not exactly a badge of honor.
0: Deal with the glow of the vertical sun. His skin. Sky
1: Say that this one is in the Tony Martin era. This is second to last. I don't understand why they didn't bring in some ringers. Was Desmond Child busy with Kiss, or what was going on? Why couldn't they have somebody help writing lyrics? You
3: wonder if they were almost taboo for people like that at the time, though. Oh, that's you a good know, point. it's like like ah, I, Black I like Sabbath
1: may bring them down again. Yeah, like I'm saying,
3: I don't want to be associated with this. You know, that might kill my career if uh, if it doesn't like work. But it worked for Alice Cooper with uh, Desmond Child around this time.
1: Yeah, it's weird because musically, I think it's it's not bad, but with what Tony is doing with the lyrics, it m- makes it not.
3: And we're talking Tony Martin. Tony Martin of, yeah, yeah.
1: really dr- drags the the songs down.
3: Tony Omi actually talked about that after the first record. <laughs> he uh he said you know let's kind of not try so hard to be this evil demonic thing and then like he comes back with like Norse god mythology stuff on the next record and he's like i had no idea what to do with that no yeah, something like that from tony's book uh, iron man look do you want to what's what's your standout track for this one cuz i i really don't have one probably <laughs> probably when death calls is my favorite but i don't know what do you think
1: i'm i don't have one and i i couldn't even pick a, a favorite off of this one i i was so every time he started singing about lucifer and satan <laughs> it just really lowered the bar yeah. and I now, if like, he
3: would have been like the singer from the beginning i don't think they would have been considered as satanic because his version of satanism is very very campy you know what i mean it just doesn't come across as evil it comes off it's
1: like yeah brett michaels saying about how lucifer is <laughs> no it's <laughs> not gonna work it i don't know well
3: brett michaels talks he doesn't sing. Well.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Know, in a way, I almost feel like maybe Tony was getting in his own way. Tony uh, Iomi, him and Cozy Powell producing this one, I almost feel like they almost got in their own way on this. They yeah. Yeah. What,
3: what, what was Cozy's production role? Uh, more, more snare. Bring the snare up.
1: Yeah. Was this the album that, or maybe I'm thinking the next one that?
3: No, you're right. This is
1: a little bit loud in the drums department.
3: Oh, <laughs> maybe he did, Maybe that was his role. It's like you deserve production credit for this drum sound. Would you like to hear some drummer jokes?
0: Of course, I would.
3: What do you call a drummer that breaks up with his girlfriend?
0: I don't know what do you call a drummer that breaks up with his girlfriend?
3: Homeless. That brings us to Tyr, T-Y-R, now for officially for the first time in Baco's life. Since he first got into Black Sabbath, I have officially checked out. I didn't know this record was coming out. I didn't know it was out until, even though I spent so much time in record stores, until I saw it sitting at a friend's house. And I never went back and got it until, boy, fairly recently. Actually, probably within the last six or seven years. And only because at that point I realized I was only two CDs short of owning everything Black Sabbath had to release, and that was this one in Headless Cross. I bought Headless Cross when it came out, but I sold it probably in college back when you could get four or five bucks for a used CD. Yeah,
1: the good uh,
3: yeah, the good old days. But uh, I kind of wish I had it back now. Yeah, I'll, I'll Eventually, I'll stumble across it. But I bought this, you know, like I said, I, I was like, well, I only need these two. I see them used all the time. I have not seen a Headless Cross in the last six or seven years. I've seen this one a couple times, but I bought it the first time I did it. It's actually better than I thought it would be. I think there's some decent stuff on here.
1: I know uh, Tony was a little bit slagging on the, the lyrical content of it. I feel it fits much the Tony better. Martin, Tony Iommi. Was slagging. It. I mean, Tony Martin wrote the lyrics, but Tony Iommi kind of slagged a little bit because it had the Norse mythology involvement and all that such. Yeah, but it didn't it, it was so much better than the previous album lyrically productions
3: production wise too as far as the the audio quality it's it's a more pleasant listen than than headless cross i do have the quote from tony that i uh, just mentioned i put it down here this is from tony Iommi's book tony martin had just come into the band and he assumed oh black sabbath it's all about the devil so his lyrics were full of devil and satan it was too much in your face. We told him to be a little bit more subtle about it. So for Tyr, is that how you pronounce it, by the way? T-Y-R, Tyre? Uh, he did all these lyrics about Nordic gods and whatnot. It took me a while to get my head around that. For whatever that means, that's that was his comment. I don't have a lot to say about it other than what I just said. I like the album cover. I like the production. Anna Monday, I think, is a fun song. Jerusalem is cool. <laughs>
1: pretty much with what you said as far as standout tracks but it's I think it's a pretty good solid album probably "Drew Some" being the strongest of the um, of the whole collection but yeah I the album covers pretty cool I have really nothing to say bad about it um, I I'd recommend this one to, for you know for anybody who wants to experiment with the Tony Martin era. Give this one a, a whirl, you know, skip over <laughs>
3: <laughs> what we
1: talked about. Yeah, and then get it, get, go from into, cro- or I'm uh, sorry, into a uh, tier. Yeah. Or T- however you say it. Yeah, tire. I say tier, but.
3: Yeah, I say tier too, but uh, I don't, fuck, I don't know. It almost I, For a while, I thought it was supposed to be TYR. You know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> there are, I've heard people refer to it as TYR. All
3: right. Well, so. whatever the fuck it's called. Just. Uh, Good luck finding it. Um, although it's probably you know on YouTube or Spotify or it's something. On YouTube, at this point. Yep. Okay. Brings us to Cross Purposes, released January thirty first, nineteen ninety four. Another record I didn't hear till much later. I actually bought Cross Purposes Live, the VHS and CD double pack before I ever bought the the studio album. You know, Tony Martin and Dio for me. Well, I talked about it in the Dio thing. I don't think he does Ozzy songs good. They're just too. They're almost like going to see a Broadway play of Ozzy. You know, it's like, you know, what is this? Let's turn. You know, it's a little too much. So the video was kind of a, a bummer for me, which is maybe why I never went out and got the CD. But I bought it, again, fairly recently, and eh, not that bad. What do you got?
1: When you listen to all the Tony Martin stuff, and then you hit this kind of left-hand turn with what they did with Dio, and then you come back. To Tony Martin it's just kind of a it's almost a little bit of musical whiplash because I felt like they really do and Sabbath that album Dehumanizer and then they came back to what they were doing with Tony Martin almost like they didn't skip a beat yeah. And so it's kind of like almost a musical whiplash kind of a thing.
3: Now, Geezer stuck around after the deal stuff for this record,
1: but it's still, it's a very much a Tony Martin album. It has it, for me, it which feels, means it sucks. No, <laughs> not by any means, but it was just, kind, it's just kind yeah. of strange how they found right back into that same kind of pocket that they had with Tony.
3: This probably was more natural for them because they just kind of kicked Tony out for a couple of years and then brought him back in. And of course, you know, he almost came back in during the dehumanizer thing anyway, but he, just i don't know again he's such a strong powerful singer but just so boring no uh, personality no, listen,
1: boring seems a little bit strong to me uh but yeah he lacks he lacks uh i don't know if it's an energy or if it's a, a uniqueness like when you listen to deal you listen to early ozzy or anything up until more recent ozzy for me i'm gonna say that okay um because yeah, you're
3: totally wrong asshole
1: so some of those vocalists there's something so unique, and there's a there's a spark to what they bring, and then you get these vocalists that have kind of a they fit, and they sound good, but they don't stand out. It's almost like if you, when you when when you go with your parents to the store back in the '80s, and they buy the the white labeled. Cans that said beer on them. It was generic and yeah. it was all the same. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what you get with this. No, it's He's not necessarily... the white
3: box that just has corn flakes on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or,
1: or corn, whatever. Yeah, they...
3: that, that also, that's dating us too because now generic <laughs> shit looks all cool, right? Yes, it It's does. got to have proper packaging and stuff. It doesn't say. Oh, they're
1: ripping off yeah, names. Yeah. You know, well, right,
3: yeah. But now, back Captain when we were punch. there, basically it was like, uh, here's a box that says, I'm poor.
1: <laughs> yes. You had to hang your head when you walked out of the store yeah. <laughs> with this box. You of... didn't
3: want the cash you want to look him in the eye while he's ringing up these like white boxes of mac and cheese, and uh,
1: <laughs> so yeah, I'm not going to say Tony. Tony Martin's, Martin
3: is the white box of mac the wh- and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> around he showed up and he did his job that's and yeah and he his boots were always on and he was ready to work which brings us to the last record of the tony martin era and my introduction to the podcast you co-host called disciples of the watch i saw this i, I, I just checked out your, your podcast shortly after uh, we met to see kind of like what your show was about and it, this was a, a fairly recent episode at that time and you had done a track by track on the album forbidden and i'm like oh my god cuz like i did one uh we did a two part episode on kiss the elder at a record <laughs> oh, i wow. love and i'm like you're the guy yeah i'm the guy uh i thought there was a chance cuz i have given this record so many opportunities to to make me like it and i i don't know i will go, i do that all the time I've tried Sonic Boom and Monster with KISS over and over, and I just keep coming away with, like, God, this is just this fucking garbage. And this record, too, I don't even make it to the end. But yet I listen to your show because I'm like, maybe if I hear somebody talk about this... And they're they're passionate about it. I will get it, and I will hear something I didn't hear. It turns out you have pretty much the exact same feelings as, as I do about the record, uh, and I respected that more. I'm like, oh my god, they they just did a record they didn't like. That was the catalyst for uh, me thinking about doing Sonic Boom with our show. Is like. Why don't we do a record we don't like? I mean, especially as much shit as we talk, we could have a, we could riff on that for, for hours. If we hate something, it's easy to talk about what you love. But I know your thoughts on this record. Why don't you share it with the listeners who haven't listened to that episode of Disciples of the Watch? It's
1: garbage. Yeah, it's, it's it's complete garbage. This one was produced by Ernie C, and I really am glad they brought Ernie in. I, he basically asked to do it, and Tony said you know what do we got to lose cuz <laughs> explain who tell everybody who Ernie C is. Ernie C is the guitar player from Body Count. Yeah. Ice T's uh metal band. Yeah. And god love him but I don't know if he shouldn't be producing or if this just was there was no point in in this album whatsoever.
3: All I know is that when I reached out to him to to do a quick interview for with him nothing. Never got back to me. Really? Yeah. So fuck you, Ernie C. Fuck you, man. Well,
1: that's too bad. Fuck I you mean, in this
3: forbidden record. No, it would have been fun to actually talk to him. I, I, yeah, definitely. I, he, I'd like maybe, to, maybe he get didn't get the thoughts message, thoughts but I'd like to take it personal if it's okay.
1: <laughs> well, that's all right. That's all yeah. right. If he gets a bag of shit on his porch anytime soon, we'll know why. Well, I Loose
3: Cannon likes it when I say this, but I make a lot of assumptions. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> yeah, there's I, for me. There's no redeeming songs in on this one. I cannot find. I you cannot polish a turd. That's it's as simple as that. And I know right now, Tony is talking about, or maybe even currently, remixing this album.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so he is really trying hard to Why? polish this turn. Maybe there's something that's on the cutting room floor. Maybe uh, there's something that we just don't know. Maybe Yeah,
3: it's the same songs, though, right? <laughs> They're still going to have Ice-T rapping on the opening track.
0: Uh, Who are you are caught in a complex catacomb of your own your
2: soul in insecurity so you live on the reflection side of the mirror you're terrified of true power fear
3: um, if that doesn't get you to press eject you you might like the
1: record it is not a good way to start you agreed you you have to and the
3: album cover what is that like mad magazine art or something like that it's just like this weird pile of humans
1: i don't know if they were trying to go with a little bit of a throwback kind of like hey let's do something kind of more simplistic? I don't know.
3: And by this point, too, Geezer checked out again.
1: <laughs> well, he's a he, good thing. Yeah, he good knew what he him. was doing, yeah. In in the podcast, I actually said this sounds like a bad Black Sabbath cover band trying to write songs that they think would sound like Black Sabbath.
3: With Tony Martin.
1: <laughs> and the <with> Tony <laughs> Martin. Yeah, he could have. <laughs> I wonder if he's busy. Because
3: uh, how many people go, oh, man, I want to sit down and write a Black Sabbath record, you know, the Tony Martin era. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, not even Tony Martin. Well, maybe Tony Martin.
3: Yeah, Probably just Tony Martin.
1: Just Tony Martin, yeah. No. But anyway,
3: do you think Kanye West likes this record?
1: He probably sleeps with it under his pillow.
3: He probably makes him feel like Superman, yeah. He
1: probably does. Yeah,
3: He wants to be the next <laughs> Tony Martin. Well, so we both agree that this is a pile of shit. Yes, uh, not worth and-
1: anybody's time. Unless you really... You know, if you really want to punish yourself, get out your flogging tools, put on some forbidden, <laughs> light some candles, maybe a glass of wine, make it special.
3: Well, if they release it on a hundred eighty gram vinyl <laughs> with like a like a double disc thing, I'll probably get it again. Uh- <laughs>
1: I can see if you're a completionist, but
3: I am. A, I am. By the way, I'm a total completionist. And
1: there's a never need to even crack the seal on it, dude. This will be mint condition, and when you die, your family could sell it for half of what you paid uh, for it. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> if you think about it, with like the other options to listening to it, you can complete your set. Like you said, never open it. And if you really have to hear it, just click it on YouTube, and about two minutes later, you'll realize we gave you the best advice you could ever get.
1: Yes. That's the best way to consume this. Put it on YouTube, get a nice, compressed, sound version of it, and uh, that's all you need. Is uh, all right. And you'll experience it, and then you can move on with your life. And either you'll thank us for never listening to it, or you'll thank us for telling you to turn it off after you hear ice tea rap. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: on yeah. a black Sabbath. American,
3: American Treasure Ice-T, iced by the way. Yeah,
1: I like body count, don't get me yeah, wrong, yeah. but this, no, is the, just, we, this we, isn't
3: fair. Uh, Cobras on Fire officially con- considers Ice-T uh, an American Treasure. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, uh, Gene, uh, that, that's it. This is We've that's gone it. through all the Sabbath stuff. That's a lot uh, of years. You want to get out of here? Absolutely. All right, so Gene, thank you so much. Make sure you check out the uh, Disciples of the Watch podcast, listeners. Fellow uh, Twin City in Minnesotan, Gene Vogel, uh, co-host. Who's your uh, other host? L- l- give him a little shout out. Nate
1: Matnich. He also he's a yoga instructor uh, around Ooh. about town. I can't remember the name of his uh, studio at the off the top of my head, but yeah, he's a uh, he's a uh, all around. Uh, Metalhead and, oh, well, in in various other genres of music, not just a metalhead. But, yeah, that's where we uh, we connect and we talk a lot uh, on the podcast. And occasionally we play independent bands as well.
3: And you, of course, are the eye candy of the band Mortificator. Uh, I try uh, to be. I yeah. do my best. Yeah, turning the ladies on with your... Uh I don't know, whatever. Just your vibe. I made my moves. Oh, yeah. You got some fucking moves. That's for sure, (laughs) man. Well, thank you. I've I've stolen some. They didn't work as well for me, but. uh, You just got to hone them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, much appreciation. Uh, I'm sure if Loose Cannon didn't get lost in the Lost Era, uh, he'd say the same thing. But, uh, of course, uh, thank you for coming on Cobras and Fire. Uh, You want to
1: get out of here? Sounds good to me, man. Rock's not dead. No thanks to Tony Martin.
3: We're just getting to know each other, right? I haven't tried to put some sexy music on for you. No, not
1: yet. So.
3: Hey, uh, can you give me just a minute? We're almost done here.
4: Yeah. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football